You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweets to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game and finesse it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Settings Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. Shane, what up, homie? How we doing today? Cool and big dog. How you doing, man? Man, I'm great, man. I'm great. Today is off to a good start. It is off to a good start. I'm not going to waste no time this morning because we've been cracking up for about 10 minutes. Um, Today, we got a guest with us, bro. Um, My buddy, Dwayne Watts. And it's it's funny. We were talking before. Me and Dwayne has actually never met in person. So this is the first time we're actually in person. But he is the best friend of one of my best friends. So a brother of a brother is my brother. And um, he's a comedian from PG County. He's got a new album coming out, which I just well, I saw it on the internet. So I said an album, like was a dude rap too, but he has a comedy album coming out on April 9th. And we just wanted to bring him on the show, you know, just to, to co- conversate and learn about his journey, his path and his purpose, man. Dwayne, what's going on, brother? What's going on, family? What's going on? This, what's this- up, man? Oh, man, what's going on, Vic? How you doing, man? Man, I'm great. I'm great. Now, I got I got to get this out immediately. When I hear comedy album, the first thing that come to mind is Ricky Smiley. That was the last person I remember having a comedy album because me and my sister and my brother used to sit up and listen to these jokes over and over. Are you telling me that that's what you have? You have a comedy album? I have a full-blown comedy album, a live performance, taped, recorded, Edited, spliced, put together, and packaged into a presentation where you can put some headphones on and enjoy the show like you was there. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That that is that is so that awesome. Is. Um before we get into the crooks and cranny, Vic, what blew my mind? Let's go. Uh getting into it. And um Dwayne, feel free to chime in once we drop the idea. So basically what's blown, what blew my mind this week is um, the idea, the concept of not letting people's opinion or time affect your dreams and your goals. Like too many times we get these ideas or we get passionate about something or we have a, a dream or a goal, but we spend too much time worrying that, man, I didn't get there quick enough or man, if I do this, so-and-so is going to think this. And it's like, man, if you have a dream or you have a goal, go balls to the wall and, and go after your dream and your goal. Like, for instance, um, and celebrate those steps. Celebrate the baby steps. This morning, I was looking over my stock portfolio, and I made more in dividends in the month of March than I did all of last year. Granted, I only made 50 cents last year. I'm not, I'm just throwing a number out here. But if I made 55, that's a reason to celebrate. You know what I'm saying? Because if I did that this month, then imagine what next month is going to look like. You know, same thing. Quincy Jones, man. I I tell people this all the time. He was 49 years old when Thriller came out. Imagine if he would have stopped at like 35. He would have never produced the greatest album of all time. So, just just hold on to your dreams because them them things belong to you and 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 as long as you breathe and you have an opportunity yeah that's like a i think they say warren buffett 
I think majority of his money was made after he turned like 50 something years old. Yep. Yeah. Like everybody's touting him as, you know, the best investor there is. Right. But majority of that money wasn't made until he was 50 something. Same, same could be said, right. To your point about don't let other people's time and, and expectations uh, I guess, control your dreams or influence you away from your dreams. And it makes me think about this. I think it was a, a image or a post I seen one time and it showed this person, I may have talked about it on the show before, but it showed this person and there was a line of people leading up to that person. Mm. And you could see that each person in line had a stick and the person kind of had half of a cell, a box being built around them. And it said, don't build or put yourself in a prison of other people's expectations. Mm. And that's what it makes me think about. Like you, you can't sit there and trap yourself and block yourself from your progress and your dreams with other people's prison bars, Mm. their expectations. So yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. I I, I can chime in on that. Um, Another, another quote, uh, that I always take to heart is uh, from Nipsey, Nipsey Hussle, and it's 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 it's, a, it's literally a marathon. It's literally a marathon. Um, I know at least with this journey, dealing with dealing, doing stand up, there's been certain times I, I wanted to like quit. There was one time I actually just stopped. Like you know what I'm saying? And we'll get into that later, uh, apparently. But yeah, there was points I, I I was like, nah, this ain't it. Like you know, I'm I'm better off doing what I was doing. Yeah. And, I didn't. Thank God I didn't. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I guess every time you get to a breaking point and you're getting tested, people come into your life and you just got to recognize what what they're there for. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you'll miss the blessing and, you know, be stuck or still in the same spot. But if you do see it and you see the play and you act on it, these people that just came into your life can change your life. 100%. Like, yeah. Um, and, and, and we you glad you quit, man. Ass. Just this close to giving up, you know what I'm saying? And, and all you need is just an inklet, man, an inklet of, of hope to, to to make you keep going. So yeah. it's a marathon, man. It's it's mm-hmm. not it's not a sprint. It's it's literally a marathon. You got to take your time, take your lumps, but don't quit. You know what 100%. I mean? Imagine, imagine, Dwayne, if this is your thriller, right? Right. But oh, wow. yeah. imagine if it wasn't though, right? But it ended up being your off the wall. Nothing's wrong with off the wall. You see what I'm saying? I but love you, off the wall. You never know. Unless you go ahead and you go and you push through for it. And that's the thing about it. Like, people argue that Off the Wall is actually a better album than Thriller. I'm in that argument. Yeah. I'm going to be very honest with you. I am so in that argument. Yeah. It is crazy. It is yeah. really crazy, man. Especially yeah. after I watched that uh, documentary about Off the Wall. Mm-hmm. How it came together. I was like, no wonder this one is such a bop. It's such a vibe. It's so much better vibe than Thriller was. And Thriller is great. We all know that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Off the wall, the instrumentation and off the wall, how they just uh, ooh, the arrangement. You took. Let's let's jump into your marathon. Like uh-huh. you took, a, you're taking a path that not many people take. You got to take any a, comedians. I don't know. Well, I know I know a bunch of class clowns from back in the day. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know that they made a profession out of it. Yeah. Well, some of them did. Some of them are locked up because of it. But um, <laughs> take us back. Like, how did we get here? Um, dude, I, I sometimes I don't even know. Sometimes it, it kind of just fogs my mind from time to time to go like, wow, how, 
How did I get here? But I was talking to my uncle yesterday, as a matter of fact. He's one of the instruments that helped me get here. Um, of course, being a kid coming up, class clown and all that other type of stuff, um, everybody always tell you, man, you should do it. You should do stand-up. But I wasn't thinking like that at all. It was further from my mind. Um, I think the first spark I ever had of that type of attention that I wanted from it was when I watched uh, You So Crazy from Martin for the first time. I think I was like 11 or 12. And when he came out on stage, I, the, the, the camera was following him from behind his shoulder so you could see what he saw. And long story short, when that curtain opened up and he walked out, everybody in the Lincoln Theater lost their mind. He didn't say one word. Ain't said nothing. But everybody saw him and lost it. Just, ah, hoo, hoo, you know, back in that, hoo, 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 ah. and I was like, I don't know what he about to do, but I want that. <laughs> I swear. I said, like, I don't know what he about to do, but I want that. I want that. I want that love, bro. Like, it was just something about it. But again, just saw it, left it alone. Um, fast forward to 2007. 2007, I was still living in Norfolk. I was already done with school for about two years. I was just living in that junk, working and, you know, about to reside in, as a Virginian. And something happened back in Maryland, and it I had to move back. But in the process of moving back, my roommate at the time, uh, my man Greg, I used to, I was working at Valley Total Fitness and I was a janitor and I would come home and tell them stories every day about my, about my day at work because it threw me off. I've never seen this many naked men in my life ever. <laughs> I didn't bro. I didn't. They did not say that on the daggone on, in the work handbook that I'm going to be cleaning up. I, I knew I was going to be cleaning, but I didn't know I was going to be seeing so many wee-wees <laughs> in my life, in my entire life, bro. It forced me to look men in their eye when I talked to them. You understand me? <laughs> I love you in your soul now, bro. I will stare you down. <laughs> that's part of the rule. You can't, you know, as guys, I don't for, for our female listeners, I don't know if you know this, but men have a rule, it's chest high. When we are in these types of situations, it's chest high. So if a man sees another man go I know that rule first, bro. It's all over the place. And I see <laughs> I was in that joint like, hey, 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 why? Put that up, bro. Like, don't ask me if we need more paper towels. I'll bring paper towels in, bro. But put that away. I will punch you in the face, sir. And this is like my first week. My first week. And I will come home and I will tell him stories like this. And he'll be dying laughing. But the thing, but the thing is, it wasn't a joke to me. I was I was preaching from my heart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, so after so after a few times of coming home and telling him stories about this and how I'm getting pissed off or where my life at. Um, he he sat me down and basically went up one side and down the other side of me and was like, bro, I think you're missing your purpose. He said, you need to do stand-up. You, you need to at least try it. You know what I'm saying? When you move back home, try it one time. If it don't work, it don't work. Go back into doing the street stuff that you was doing. But if if it worked, man, you might be on to something. Just mm. promise me you'll try it. So I told him I promise. Go to my uncle. I moved back home. Go to my uncle. And I told my uncle, I was like, yeah, bro, I think now that I'm back home, I'm going to try to do stand-up comedy. He was like, well, you funny. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, uncle, but, you know, I, I'll see what I can do, man. I don't know where the room's at. I don't know nothing about nothing. He said, well, I know a guy. I said, well, if you know a guy, call him. Let me see what I can get. Now, that whole phone conversation, be honest with you, was a bluff. I was saying it because it felt like I ain't have no plan when I moved back home, be honest with you. I really didn't. Now, what year was so, it? So, this was 2008. 
2008, okay. 2008. So when I moved back home, yeah, it was 2008 when I moved back home, uh, going into 2009. And um, uh, yeah, I didn't have a plan. So when I told him that, I, I thought he was just going to bluff. I thought he was going to bluff me and uh, take a long time to look for it. That'll probably give me some time to really, you know, write jokes or whatever, whatever. I hung up the phone with him. He called me back in 10 minutes and said, are you available next Saturday? Ooh. And I said, for what? He was like, yeah, my man heard that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I totally forgot that I even told him that. I was like, for what? He was like, yeah, for your show. You're going to be performing next Saturday. Wow. Deep water. Oh, okay. And this was in Baltimore. <laughs> this is in Baltimore. So I'm sitting here like, oh, okay. All right. Uh, what's the story? He said it's in Baltimore. I said, okay. And uh, man, you can hear my heart beating out my chest. But I, I put a five-minute bit together. Didn't know how to really write jokes, but I just wrote something down and practiced, and I put it together. And when that show came up, I did my thing. And how was the first show? Was was it uh? Were they throwing tomatoes at you, or did you get? Bruh, it was it was so successful. Like you don't even understand. That five minutes was so. I had them in the palm of my hand, bro. I. I had no clue. I could be all right. Like, I, I just, I was like, this feels good. This feels good. I was nervous, but it was something about when the light hit, I just turned on, you know? Mm. And I remember what I said. I remember what I wrote. So it was almost like I was reading the script, you know what I mean? But I was feeling it. And the people laughed. The people laughed. The promoters laughed. Like, everybody laughed. So... You know, when I got off the stage, the promoter came back to me. He was like, man, man you did good. I need you to come back next, you know, next next show. And I was like, all right, that's a bet. He was like, how long you been doing stand-up? I said, today was my first time. And he was like, you lying to me. <laughs> and I was like, nah, today's my first time. He said, shh. Well, uh, yeah, man, you might be on to something. And I was like, all right, cool. And right then and there, it was like, it's equivalent to how crack is hit crack for the first time or heroin. It's like, it's, it's a shot, bro. Yeah. It's like, it's an unexplainable sense of euphoria when you get that. It's a rush, man. And it became addictive quickly. Yeah. Quickly. Man. And I, I loved it, man. I loved it ever since. So from, from that moment, have you toured? Have you traveled doing shows? Or have you stayed local in D.C., Baltimore, Virginia? No, no. I've definitely traveled, bro. I travel, man. Um, in fact, I'm gonna be in Tampa in about two weeks at the Tampa Improv in two weeks, man, with the She More Funny team. Um, they they from Baltimore, but you know, they they these females are dope comics and they're about to come down there and tear it up. And they told me they we want you to come on and whatever, whatever. So I'm good with that. I definitely done been on a, several tours up and down the East Coast, man, or the Chitlin circuit. And yeah. I'm still working my way out. Still working my way out to uh, L.A. I've done New York a few times, um, a lot of times, actually, about about three, four, five times for my for me. And um, let's see, I'm going to be back in Pennsylvania in May, working on a New Orleans gig and some stuff out in Houston. Like, I, yeah, bro, like, yeah. So, yeah, so talk about how you refine the craft of comedy. How do you get better? Because you said in the beginning, your very first one, you didn't even know how to write a joke. I studied, bro. I didn't. I, I went all the way in. Um, the first thing I got that that same uncle put me onto was uh, he got me a book called "The Act: The Art of Comedy Writing." I read that front to back. 
Um, then another book I ordered was called The Comedy Bible by Judy Carter. Um, and that's literally a, a comedy Bible. It's a Bible that everybody who attempts to do anything in comedy should read. Wow. It has great, it, 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 I mean, you should really read it. It it's, teaches you, even if you don't want to do stand-up, even if you want to just be a comedy writer, and it, it has everything in there for you to, to learn your craft and succeed in it if you follow these steps. You know what I'm saying? They don't teach you, they don't write your jokes for you, but they teach you about the setup and the punchline and, and yeah. tags and everything else that goes with it and the lingo. And in my original version, they had comedy clubs in the back that did open mics and, you know, the phone numbers to them so you can book yourself in and call in and all that other type of stuff, man. So it, it's a great tool. Um, I got a couple of other books, the comic toolbox, man. I, I got all that. I still read these things and I read them back and forth. And another thing I do is um, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it. I'm a fan first. Yeah. Who's your favorite comic? I don't have one. Okay. Give me like two or three. People ask me that too, man. It's like, I don't have one because my palate is is, is is versatile, man. I mean, of course, you got your standards, you got your Chappelle's, Eddie Murphy, so on and so forth. But then, you know, I got a lot of unknown dudes that's that's fire to me that y'all haven't heard of yet, or some that is surprising, like you know, what I'm saying Louis C.K., George Carlin, um, uh, uh, Tom Segura. Like it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of mix with me, man. Everybody just think I like black comics or something. Like no, nah, I, I like everybody, bro. Yeah. Everybody. If you can make me laugh, I'm with it. Point blank. So, uh, as you think about style, like you, you know, there are some comedians who talk about their personal life. There are some comedians who, you know, they actually just have punchlines. They tell a joke, have a punchline. Do you have a style? I believe in telling my truth. I think that everybody that I do tend to gravitate to and stand up all in some way, shape, or form mm-hmm. tell me their truth. And I like the art of storytelling. So I do, st- I, I, I storytell. I, I am a storyteller in a sense. And like I said, I like telling, I like telling my truth. Um, Cat Williams once said, man, when you're doing stand-up comedy for real, it takes you about six years to find your voice. It's going to take you about six years to find your voice because when you first come out, you're definitely going to sound like who the hottest person that's successful right now because that's right. technically the goal you want to get to so when i started it was cat williams it was mike epps and it was kevin hart uh that was pretty much jockeying for those for that title for like the next three years in my first years of stand-up for like them three years it was cat then it was mike and then kevin took it and ran with it you know what i mean but so my style in the beginning did definitely sound like some of these you know what i'm saying because that's what was kicking you right. know what i'm saying right. but as time go on, and like I said, you do take the craft serious, you end up figuring everything out and getting comfortable. And I think the key to it is just getting comfortable. Mm-hmm. Getting comfortable on stage and being vulnerable enough to talk talk your smack and not worry about the consequences behind it. Just worry about it later. You know what I mean? And I believe once you do achieve that, then you surface. And once you surface and you start really being yourself on stage, Everybody can relate to it, no matter whether they live in that lifestyle or not. There's going to be something relatable because you'll be yeah. able to you'll be able to you know express it to where everybody can feel involved. It's almost like talking to y'all in my living room right now. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. 
we all company. We just rapping and we hearing each other out. That's the whole point. The fit, the, the way I feel right now is how I feel on stage every other time now. So, yeah. Have you ever had a clunker? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes, sir. That's what, one of the things that damn near made me quit, bro. <laughs> Tell us I about it. started, man. Because like I said, remember that first show was successful. Yeah. Every show after that was successful. So I'm thinking, damn, you know, I might be good at this. You know what I'm saying? So you get big headed. You get a, you get a little big head. You start your ego start tripping, and you don't got nobody in the in the comedy community. Cause I, I and when I first started, I didn't have any anybody I could lean on, no mentors or none of that. Mm. So I was just out here. You know what I'm saying? So you know I'm out, man. I, I'm doing. I had like maybe about my first five shows was successful. So I'm not on the sixth show. I'm like. Man, I'm about to just breeze through this, John. I ain't tripping. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever. Nah, didn't, nah, didn't, didn't work out. The one thing I learned, every audience ain't the same, bro. Whatever huh. worked last What's the difference month, might not work this month, bro. Yeah. And What's the differences with the audience? Say it again? Like, what is the differences with the audience? Like, something you can pick up on that you can share that's tangible? Uh, well, right now, now what I've learned is just learning. Basically, the lesson from that was learning how to read a room. Mm. that was the lesson I got from this clunker learn how to read a room and uh, be able to mm -hmm. have enough uh, stuff in your pocket to where you can adapt so if you read the room and you got these jokes that pretty much cater to your age group but you had an old folks home performing I don't think it's going to work you know what I'm saying you dig what I'm saying I don't yeah. think these particular jokes are going to work so you're going to have to adjust on the fly and, and pick up some stuff that's going to be universal you know what I mean but um, when that show came up, I was sitting here. I didn't even prepare. I was just like, I'm going to use the jokes I used last month. It killed. I'm going to do it. Go in there. And um, the host at that time, dude named Ricky Shackelford, made a comment to this lady in the audience, and it went left. And uh, it went super left to the point where the dude's son, uh, the lady's son was about to get up on stage and shut the whole show down. Like, it was not about to be a joke. Huh. He was a rapper, as a matter of fact, a local rapper, and he had his whole neighborhood with him because they performed that night. So it was about to get real. <laughs> um, after, after the smoke cleared and everything got done, people just looking around, his entourage left. They was about 40% of the audience, now I think about it. So it went from four to butt naked like that. The energy zapped out the room. And now we sitting here like, like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? Like, what we about to do? And Ricky came up. All right, y'all, coming from D.C., uh, Dwayne Watts. Y'all bring up Dwayne Watts. Three people clapped, and two of them was related to me. <laughs> <laughs> Three people clapped, two of them was related to me. And it was it was crazy because um, I didn't know what to do. I just thought these jokes was about to just bring the vibe back, none of that. Dude, I told my first joke, nothing. It was just quiet. I was like, all right, get to the second joke, nothing working. Now people are starting to have bold conversations in front of me, bro. Like mm -hmm. I heard, like I, I'm literally hearing people eat. I'd rather have been booed, bro. <laughs> I'd rather have been booed. I'd rather, have, did, I did so bad. They didn't even have energy to be like, get off stage. They just sat there and talked about life. I heard somebody say, I got to call the babysitter. You know what I'm saying? Somebody called the babysitter. Somebody else talking about their stock portfolio like you did earlier. 
Um, I heard it all. So I was supposed to do about 10 minutes. I ended up cutting myself in about three. Ooh. I took myself off stage. The, the host came back. He was like, hey, man, look, you still got seven more minutes. I was like, no, I don't. He was like, no, nah, man, don't ever take yourself off stage again. Don't ever, man. Just sit through it, deal with it, figure it out. But don't ever just take yourself off. And then he just patted me on the back and told me to go in the back. And I went back to the back. And right after that slam, if there was a bridge, if there was a bridge anywhere nearby, I would have jumped. That's how devastating that felt, especially since you was on a high. Yeah. And your ego had you up here. You thinking like, man, shit's, you know, sweet. It's sweet. That jump brought me, it humbled me so fast. And it made it dangerous because after that, I didn't perform the next month. It took me about three months to get my confidence back. Um, so from that, from that botch where you walked off the stage, the person told you never to walk up the stage. What did you learn and how did that propel you forward? Um, I learned to, I learned to respect my craft a little more. Um, a lot more after that. I learned that every joke is not for every audience. I also learned that, um, that and I learned that you know it is your responsibility to keep the audience focused on you no matter what's going on around them because as soon as I walked off the stage it was the same energy but another female comic a female comic came up after me her name was Pumpkin and she destroyed it destroyed got everybody got I think I think it was like like I said like maybe about 14 people left got all of them together pulled them up and made just save the show, save the show. So I learned that through the adversity, man, you still got to get them focused on you. Mm. You got to make it about you. You can't make it about anything else or, 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 or nothing. You got to get everybody focused. Chris Rock once said, I don't care if I'm in the theater performing. I don't care if a dude gets stabbed in the audience. There's a shootout on the top gallery and a fire in the back. If anybody, yeah, and a fire in the back. If all everybody's paying attention to that instead of me, then I failed at my job. Mm. Mm. I thought that was a little bit extreme, but I understood it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got what he said, but that's that's a bit much, Chris. I'm getting the hell about it. I don't, I don't, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm leaving. You know what I'm saying? But I get what you're saying. I get what you mean. So um, it definitely, after I recovered and, and, and found some courage in myself, man, I, I ended up going back, but it wasn't consistent. So when people ask me when I start doing stand-up, technically I started back in 2009, 2010, but, um, well, 2009 officially. And, um, you know, it was it was touch and go between 2009 and 2012. And then 2013, I met my guy Skip, who's like my right-hand man, and right-hand man now, especially in comedy, but my right-hand man in real life. Um, he... In, in my area, he was... He's, he's a solid comic. Like, he's a great comic actually and um he knew everybody so he pulled up on me i seen him at one show blah 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 long story short he the one that brought me back into comedy for real and became a mentor and then put the people around me to actually help me build up yeah. and become where i am right now yeah you know and, and you what you mentioned there you had a you had a setback you had what you felt like was a failure and the hardest part in that is to pick yourself up dust yourself off right rebuild your confidence and find a way to move forward and you know as we think about our audience our audience we try to help them to see those opportunities that just because you failed 
doesn't mean that that's final, right? Right. And right. you have to find a way to get up. You know, my dad, my dad growing up, he he taught me he taught me how to ride a bike. Now, my dad, when I fell off the bike, like every kid does, right? Because you're learning. He would come over and he picked me up and he looked me in my face and he would go, why are you crying? Because of course I'm crying. I'm six. Right. I'm supposed to be crying. And that was the look on my face, right? What, what do you mean? Why am I crying? He go, why are you crying? And he would go, are you hurt? No. Are you bleeding? No. Then why are you crying? And he tells the story. He tells me immediately he saw in my face, like, yeah, why, why am I crying? And I don't think enough people have won those moments with themselves where they stop and ask, why am I crying in this moment of hurt? But they also don't have people around them who's going to come up and ask them that question. And when you think about your circle, the people who have helped you to move forward, do you feel like you got people in your circle that'll tell you, you know what, Dwayne, that wasn't funny. That wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. I needed that. I, yes, I do have that. And um, it's difficult to hear that sometimes. If, 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 if it's hurt, it's difficult to hear it. But if you decide to really, um, and this is just in, in any conversation with any relationship with anybody, if you decide to be mature and take the criticism as constructive and try to apply what they're saying to what you're doing, then, yeah, you know, you could be improved. I mean, it's a fine line between constructive criticism and being an asshole. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's a very fine line on that. But if, depending on who's giving it and they, their value in your life is how, how that fence gets straddled. You know what I'm saying? And, or, you know, which side did they fall on? Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, definitely, it definitely helps me when they tell me that um, because – I don't get mad no more. I go, well, let's see where we fix that. Because they don't just say, hey, that sucks. They go, hey, that's funny. But, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What if you use this? Or what if this was there? Or maybe, nah, bro, you got, you, you're doing too much. Like, nah, say, yeah, you're doing too much. Uh, take that out. Well, trim some of that. Like, you got to start getting to the point. Everybody ain't here for these long-winded stories. Like, you got to chop these jumps up. So, yeah. that type, that type of criticism... I can take all day. I can take that all day. Criticism with a solution. Because I we think go. that that's the, that's the difference in trying to determine who's really got your back. Do you get criticism of people just telling you it sucked and that's it, like a heckler, which we're going to get to next, by the way. I want to hear about uh, some, some hecklers that you've had. I'm sure you've had some because every comedian has them. Um, but having criticism... Having criticism with a solution offered. Hey, you should tweak here. You should do this. Now, it may not necessarily be right or you take it, but nonetheless, that's that's a good way to identify good and bad feedback. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. Tell us about hecklers. Have you been heckled? I'm going to be honest with you. Not really. Not really. I really make it a point. My goal is, if you heckling me, you just hate because my the way I write and the way I perform, my goal I, I I try to draw you in. I try to at least draw you in. So if you heckling me, I drop the ball somewhere, obviously. But um, yeah, I, if if my material good enough, you ain't gonna have time to heckle. You're gonna be too busy laughing. Mm. Like that's just my strategy, honestly. So have I had hecklers? I can count on I literally three times, maybe in 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 this whole time I've been doing stand up, eleven years. Maybe about three times. 
and all of them got handled differently. You know, um, outside of this whole jokey and, you know, relaxed persona I got with y'all, I re I'm really aggressive. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I am really, really aggressive. Yeah, I try to keep it tucked in. I do a real good job at it, but I mentality is still very fiery in me. You know what I mean? I just do a really, really, really great job of keeping it contained. Because yeah, I can way imagine smarter. beating 6-2 kind of helps with the hecklers as well. No, none of that. None of that. Because the five seven, it'd be the five seven ones with the biggest heart. Like, you know what I'm saying? Them five seven Jones be like, what? Like, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So no, nah, that, that ain't got nothing to do with it, man. It's just got nothing to do with it. But <laughs> no, nah, I keep that, I keep it, I keep it, um, I keep it, I keep it tucked in. So when the first heckler happened, like I forgot I was on stage. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like Mike almost went off through the show. It was about to, I was about to forget. I was ready to fight Slim. You understand me? I was ready to give him his business because he interrupted. I only got five minutes. Mm. I only got five minutes, yeah. I only that's like being with your old lady, knowing what your time is, and then the kids come in and mess it up right, right in there. Like, bro, I only had five minutes, bro. <laughs> only had five minutes with your mother, and you're gonna come in here and ask for some juice. Die! Go fall down some steps. Like, you understand what I mean? Just it's ruined now. You yeah, know what I mean? They got five minutes with your mother. They <laughs> <laughs> got five minutes with her, huh? But anyway, yeah, that was then. Then later, you know, I I I, I don't know what y'all call it roasting on y'all. And I, I I can roast like nobody business too. So then when I dealt with a heckler, I put the spotlight on them and I give them what they want. You know what I'm saying? If they want to roast, okay, fine. Let's make you a part of the show. And then mm. I will start going back and forth. You know what I'm saying? But then that takes away the energy. That does a lot, man. So yeah. With hecklers now, if they start heckling, I'll, I'll ignore it for a second just to see if it's just him or it's just or am I losing everybody. And when I realize it's just them, I can either give it some attention or I can be like, security, man, I'm trying like, yeah, hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would tell on you in a heartbeat. So it's like, you know what I mean? I would tell. I will, Are you I saying you're a snitch? <laughs> I will put you out the show, bro. I will. Because everybody paid money. I think yeah. that, and that's another mentality I tell other comics. When you get nervous, don't get nervous, bro. Everybody rooting for you. They paid to see you do good. So remember yeah. that. Yeah. So my mindset is like, bro, they paid money to come in this joint, bro. Like, I'm not about to stop what I'm doing. Everybody else laughing except you. That's your problem. Yeah, that's not mine. You, man. Yeah. yeah. Something wrong with you. So yeah, I, I, you know, I deal with them. I deal with them how they come, but I honestly don't really have that many hecklers, man. I'm grateful for that. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that's not an ego thing at all, man. That's just, Paying attention to detail, reading your audience, and um, and being actually being funny, you know what I mean. Just actually, just being genuinely funny, man. Drawing them in and oh, you know, letting it work. What what advice would you give to somebody who is been sitting around? They are funny in their respective circles. They've considered comedy and going that route, but. They're not sure if one, they can make a career out of it. Two, if they should take that leap. Like, what would you tell that new, young, possibly aspiring comic in terms of advice? I tell them what I tell them now because I, I, I do get those inquiries all the time. It ain't for everybody, it's not for everybody. Um, there's difference, there's, there's levels to being funny. Um, there's being neighborhood funny 
that's being funny around people you you're so close you're so close to and so close with that you can be yourself that yeah you funny as hell to them because you relaxed you know yeah. them they don't judge you you know what i'm saying whatever whatever and then there's all around funny making complete strangers laugh because you're still that same person all the way around you know what i mean it's levels to that man some people aren't everybody funny some people are just funny to the people in their neighborhood and you got to be able to try to decipher which funny you are. And then I tell them another thing, if you're in it for a career, go, don't do it. That's another reason. Don't do it. Don't do it for to, to make money because you're going to lose yourself in it. You're going to mm-hmm. lose yourself in it quick. You really got to have a passion for this, bro, because it's not going to go your way. It's not going to go everybody's way, period. So, so are you saying comedy, you say it, it, it's not a career. Are you saying comedy has to be treated more like a hobby? No, not hobby. It has to be more. It has to be treated with a passion. Mm. Like you really have to have a passion for this because it's not going to go your way all the time, mm. and you have to be ready to deal with that when it comes. You have to be ready to deal with that adversity. You have to be deal with the ready that everybody might not like you. Mm. You, know I mean? you have to deal with the fact because here's the thing, bro. This is an ego driven industry. Everybody wants to be the funniest. Everybody wants to be considered the funniest person, the number one. So no matter what group is or whoever you have as mentors, at the end of the day, this is a me by myself sport. This is tennis for me. This is golf. I don't have it. You know what I'm saying? I'm the one out here performing. I don't have to rely on four other people to make sure I get the points and, and stuff like It's not that at all. I'm in this jump by myself and hopefully the advice of my team that I have around me put everything in motion for me to succeed better. But other than that, it's, everything's all on me. So you got to be ready for that, man. You got to literally have the mental capacity to deal with the BS that comes with this. Mm. So you got to, and it has to be a passion because if you look at it as, as a career and your shit don't move, then you're going to go elsewhere. Mm. That's dope. Quick, man. That's dope. Speaking of adversity, how did um, the panorama affect you over the last year? Ooh. Panorama. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, we could we could have stayed with the panorama. This got the panorama. Panorama, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, it messed me up, bro. Because uh, here's the thing: like the panorama, the pandemic, Shane, the pandemic. Um, <laughs> the pandemic happened at a point in my life where everything went upside down, bro. Yeah, everything. Like, you know, I was married, and and all that. And everything shifted. So in the middle of this, of this life-changing transition, you got the world shutting down. The only thing that was keeping me going at the time technically was comedy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, all these setbacks. Like, I, t- I end up using that experience and finding the funny in it. But going through that dark time, bro, stand-up was the only thing that pretty much had me like, I, well, I got these jokes, and I like being around people. And if I'm not performing at my best, I at least know that these guys are gonna get me laughed. So comedy kept me up during these whole during this whole time. You feel me? Gotcha. Um, so when 2020 originally happened, dude, by this time I got a buzz and I'm getting booked left and right. Do you understand me? I, my calendar was literally filled from February till June. Damn it. Book shows, bro, paid gigs every weekend. With five of them dates, six of them dates out of ten. Oh, 
Like I was booked and busy. You hear me? Yeah. Like grind yeah. mode. And when when the pandemic came, canceled everything. Shit, man, the money just gone. Gone. Hmm. No outlet, no clubs, nothing. And you know, they was doing Zoom comedy shows, but I was against it in the beginning. I was like, what the? I'm not, I can't, that's a whole nother adaptation and adjustment that we gotta get. I'm not trying to, nah, man. I bit the bullet though, bro. Because <laughs> when you really love it, I, when you really love it, man, you gotta get you gotta get it out. Yeah. Some people did skits. I know a lot of comics did skits and TikToks that changed their lives and made everything better. Um I know other guys that just said, F it, we're gonna do backyard shows. And we like it, it's so many people figured out ways to still keep this genre going yeah. without having to really like take that whole sit back. So um the pandemic, I, I, I ended up working through it. I ended up working through it. Like, even though all them shows got canceled, I learned how to do Zoom shows. I was doing skits left and right. I stay active. I stay active in comedy in some way, shape, or form, whether it be writing jokes and putting jokes together for others and you know i got an executive i got a consultant credit now because one of my boys did a, a, a stand-up special that's on amazon now rob gordon problematic um i'm on there i'm on the credits because i helped put the you know put that together i'm a consultant on there um and then i decided by myself like i'm gonna record a comedy album good that's how the album came into play man during the pandemic which which will lead us to our next question Tell us about the album, August, excuse me, not August, April 9th, album drives. April 9th, man, watch so fun. Uh, this album, man, it's, uh, I took a leap of faith. I took a leap of faith with this. Um, so the same dude that I told you that that, that made me promise him to try stand up, mm-hmm. he's a me- media major at Norfolk State and ended up becoming, um, working in his field and, just like a, he's a low-key mogul in the making. I don't even think he realized it, but he a low-key mogul in the making, but he never gave up on me and um, supported everything. And once he got put in a position to actually make some stuff happen and, you know, make some stuff move, he jumped right in and was like, bro, we're going to put something together for you. I don't know if we're going to, he said, we're filming a special. We got to do something. And I was like, all right. And he was like, well, what you had in mind? He was like, man, I don't even know. I do an album or something, man. I was like, you know what? I thought about doing a comedy album, bro. I mean, because, you know, I got two other comics that I personally know, Paris, uh, Sasha, and Rollo Boykins that I'm close with. They dropped albums, and them albums was funny. And I was like, I can do this. You know what I mean? Like, I can do this. I can see myself doing it. Why not do it? I'm going to do it. So I said, I'm going to put a show together, and, you know, we'll see what happens of it. Man, my man got right to work, got the recording equipment, we got the venue, and we put the tickets on Eventbrite. We sold out. The show was for October, October 15th. The tickets went on sale August 28th, and we sold out by September 11th. And it was for two shows, 7.30 and a 10 o'clock. And this was in the middle of the panorama, so you recorded it and y'all was open. We was about... 75% capacity, you know, that type of thing. 50, oh, wow. No, not 75. Well, I'm about to say, man, y'all out here disrespecting COVID, man. <laughs> man, no, ain't nobody out. No, Baltimore disrespects COVID. <laughs> okay. DC got some, DC put some spec on that name. So it, it was a lot of, that you couldn't, and Merlin's over here teeter tottering. So I got it, I'm in the teeter tottering part of it. You gotcha. know what I'm saying? So it was like for, for the show to only be able to have maybe about 50 people in attendance on each one. Both of them sold out 
within a week and a half of me dropping these tickets, bro, which threw me off because I knew I had a base, a fan base of people and supporters. But, you know, I, again, that's just one of them things where you don't believe in yourself mm. like, like you should. And I, I didn't. I was just like, okay, well, let's just make sure we get some tickets sold by this time. And bro, both of them sold out. It humbled me again. It just reminded me like I'm on, I'm doing the right thing. So did the shows, did both shows, man. Successful, standing ovation. Um, I did about an hour and some change. Uh, And it was consistently funny. It wasn't no spots in the junk to me. It wasn't no spots in there where it was dead air, dead silence, and nobody got it or None of that, bro. Like when y'all hear it, when it, when y'all hear it, you, you're gonna, it's gonna, um, you'll see what I'm talking about, man. You'll see the labor and time we put into it. Yeah. And just, I'm excited, bro. Like I'm, I'm legit excited to hear what everybody else think about it, man. That's dope. So, so this is more of a technical question. Was it a conscious decision? Because it's an audio album, I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it was it was it was a conscious decision for two reasons because it's definitely an audio album. There's okay. no visuals involved at all. It's all audio. Okay. Um, it was a it was it was it was a challenge for me, but it made me it made me better in so many ways because it challenged the way I write, my mm. material, how I deliver it, mm. and make sure that I paint this picture as vivid as my favorite rappers do. That's dope. You know what I'm saying that. Even the physical, you could see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even with the physical reactions or whatever else I did on there, if I tell the story correctly and and, and do it right, you should you should you should see what you, you have to visualize what we visualize able to visualize it a little lot more, man. Definitely. And going through that process of editing the album, putting it together, and like it's very tedious. I don't like it. Um, I don't like it at all, but once once you hear it after, because now that it's been mastered and everything, it's so, oh my God. I was just like, wow, this is actually funny. And I don't like hearing myself. I don't. But this was actually funny. Yeah, that is dope. Yeah, I, I'm, so I can't wait, man. I can't wait for y'all to hear it. I can't wait, man, because there's so much growth on there. And I'm being very vulnerable on there, man. Like a lot of that stuff, might be exactly like I tell the jokes I tell, man, is really my life just exaggerated to the 10th power. Mm. But there's a lot of truth based in a lot of stuff I'm saying on there, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of true stories, man. What platforms will it be on? Every streaming platform, man. Spotify. Like I said, I, all them buzzes that y'all were hearing earlier, bro, those were emails, man, from Spotify and, and other spots letting me know when it's going to drop, when the, when the pre-sale is going to drop and all that other type of stuff. But um, Yo. it'll be on Spotify, iTunes. Google Play, Amazon, uh, Title. Did I say Title? Pandora. Yeah, Pandora. Working on Pandora, and, and yeah, man, every streaming platform. Period. It's gonna be on every platform, man. That's so dope, man. I, I, like I said, I honestly can't wait. And I'm gonna print up some vinyls. Really? I'm gonna print up some vinyls. That's man. old school. Yeah, I'm gonna print up some vinyls, get the cover, and I'm gonna give a few away to certain family members. And like I'm gonna get one frame for my mother, you know what I'm saying, father, father, and all them type of folks. And then the rest of them, man, I'll sell them as a collector's item. And y'all can do what you want with them, but they all of them be autographed and everything else. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm working Yo, on having that's a dope idea. Like Martin Luther King, I believe, like won a Grammy in like 1964. Yeah, and I want to win one too at some point. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I really, 
you know, I really, and, and even, you know, with comedy, man, it's, it's a lot of people still putting out comedy out, man. Mm. Tiffany Haddish just won a Grammy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah and it's just like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, just keep, just keep pushing, bro. You know what I mean? So I got, I'm working on that. Once this jump drop right now, I'm working on my next special. That's when it's going to be a visual, but I still want to be in a better position. So when I do drop that thing, it'll be the anticipation. You know what I'm saying? Will be yeah. very, very high to, to, for everybody else. Not me. I'm going to be fine with it, but I want the, the, the world to know what's going on. My yeah. goal is to have the number one comedy album for at least a day. I don't care. You know what I mean? That's so what, yeah, and it's possible. And then if you get it for a day, you'll probably have it for a week because it yeah. those charts for a week. So that's that's dope. The um Martin Luther King album it was actually in 1971 for his Vietnam speech, um opposing Vietnam when he won the Grammy. Wow. But um, yeah, man, that's that's dope, bro. When I saw it, as I said, it was like album. But then when I like really thought about it, I was like, yo, that's a dope idea because I don't know many people. I don't now. I'm not in that world, but I don't know many people that's doing audio albums right now. Everybody goes straight to film, and I would see that it would present a challenge because I'm imagining with comedy, your whole body's telling the joke, how you're moving across the stage, facial expressions. So to take that element of way of the physical presence, I would imagine would be challenging. So that's mm-hmm. that's that's right. Really, yeah, that's man. What's that's what's up. D Wayne, tell yeah. the people where they can find you. All right, so you can find me on. Every pretty much every platform, man. On Facebook, I'm Dwayne Watts, like it's spelled in the corner, D-W-A-I-N-W-A-T-T-S. On Instagram, at Watts Comedy. All right. At Watts Comedy. My followers are starting to really go up and it's all organic, man. It's all organic. Um, literally, somebody just hit me right now, asked me about the pre-sale with the album. This is crazy. Um, <clears throat> um uh and on uh, Twitter, laugh a lot watts. Laugh a lot watts, man. But mainly, like I said, Instagram is where I normally be at. And Instagram and Facebook is where I normally reside. I got to work on my Twitter, but it's like I follow too many nasty people. I, I can't even open my Twitter in public. So, um, <laughs> not even a joke. Uh, but I'm, that, 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 it's not even a joke. I'm not even making it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me at. Um Waiting on the pre-sale right now, but if 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 everything uh, goes according to within the next thirty minutes, man, the pre-sale for my album, you can get it on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Play. Four ninety nine support. Let me know what y'all feel. But April 9th is going to be the official drop date, and it'll be streaming on all platforms. Watch so funny, Dwayne Watts live at the uh, the Cut Bar and Restaurant in Waldorf, man. Like please. Support your boy, man. Let me know what y'all think, man. I'm, I'm, I'm here for all the criticism and all the love, man. So talk to me. That's what's up, man. We we definitely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate for y'all sharing having your man. story. Man, it's, it's definitely, definitely inspiring, uh, regardless of the lane that you're in. <clears throat> we close out every show. We share one of our favorite quotes. And I wasn't sure if this one was going to land, but I think it is. The quote says, don't be afraid of being different. Be afraid of being the same as everyone else. Ooh. Don't be afraid of being different. Be afraid of being the same as everyone else. And after this episode, absolutely, I think it's, it's, it's most relevant. So to our audience, man, we appreciate you rocking with us. Thank you. If you haven't already, like, subscribe, share the show, tell two friends, give us some feedback. You can find us uh, 
at Purpose Addicts on social media. You can email us, purposeaddict02 at gmail.com. If you have some good feedback, shoot it to us. If you got some criticism, keep it to yourself. As always, live life on purpose. We out. I'm winning for